Welcome to Sports right, Rivals with Ernst and Ernie. And whoever you may Live be listening, welcome to the July edition of the Sports Rivals with Ernie and Monty. And gang, Ernie and I are, are businessmen at heart. That's what we find fascinating. That's what we've done in our careers. And I'm really interested to talk a little bit about the business in the NFL and in the NBA as it relates to contracts. So Ernie, this week, the big signing, the big news in the NFL is Kyler Murray. Mm -hmm. He gets his extension two years early. He gets his five years, $230.5 million, $160 million guaranteed. So he didn't get quite Deshaun Watson's all guaranteed, right. but he did get $500,000 more over five years. Now, the big news today was that within his contract, it was revealed that there is a clause in there that requires him to spend at least four hours a week independently studying film and videos, which I guess for <laughs> most people means that this wasn't happening and telling him about to do this wasn't working. Yeah. So for them to put it specifically in the contract seems a little childish it does um but i think it goes back to the business of it so first of all ernie your thoughts on kyler murray at this point in his career getting the second largest contract in nfl history just on the contract alone i think it's uh boy i this might this just might be the start of you know contracts from here on out i mean with deshaun watson actually setting you know, the bar and now Kyler Murray to follow. I mean, we're looking at, uh, you know, this is precedence that's going to be set. Uh, as far as the amount, I'm, st I still got to get used to it. I mean, I, 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 like you said, from a business standpoint, it really doesn't seem, uh, at least from my standpoint to pay that much to a quarterback, uh, you know, who really hasn't, uh, won the big game yet. And we, we've talked of, about this on prior podcasts off the air in regards to, you know, those top paid quarterbacks not being able to, being able to win the Super Bowl. Well, I, I think, I think we all can agree that the quarterback is the most important position on the team. I think that goes without saying. I think what is staggering though is the, the amount of money that they're starting to make. And what I think is really ludicrous is the fact that next man up has to get more. Right. That makes no sense to me. I mean, in the real world, just because you're the next one higher doesn't mean you're going to get more than the, the predecessor. But in the NFL, that's exactly what's happening. No matter how good you are, no matter your success, no matter your accolades. And we have Lamar Jackson that's still sitting out right, there. Right. And I think the same concerns to some extent that people had about Kyler Murray, they have about Lamar Jackson. With Kyler Murray, I think it was, is he going to be able to stay healthy with his small frame? And then there's the leadership questions. No questions on Lamar's leadership. It's a matter of, can he stay healthy? Is his running going to be able to last for another five years? And can he complete the passes when you need to? But Lamar has been to the playoffs a number of times. Right. He's, won a, he's won a playoff game. He's won an MVP. Right. So theoretically, based on that, Lamar should get more than Kyler. Do you think that's going to happen? I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, I think it's a wait and see. Who knows what the Lamar does this, you know, this particular season? I mean, the... 
you know, the AFC North is definitely, definitely packed. Uh, you know, defending AFC champion coming out of the division, Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, and the Cleveland Browns with Deshaun Jackson. If he outperforms them all, then I would say, yeah. But at this point in time, I would say no. What, what, what I, what I'm worried about in regards to this whole, the, you know, this whole Kyler Murray thing is, is basically, the amount of money that's spent on NFL personnel is going to be pr- proportionate to what the market dictates. If the TV contracts and the revenue coming from tickets and whatever, you know, uh, NFL jersey sales, you know, all that other stuff that comes in as far as cash flow to those franchises, it's going to be proportionate to what they pay out in totality to the personnel. I think that's within the, con- I think the NFL does that the best mm-hmm. out of uh, all the three major sports. The one thing I'm, I'm in disagreement is the proportion that goes to a specific spot. Yeah. I mean, and, it'd be one thing to say that your quarterback position would get 15, 15% of your salary cap. But what's happening now at $46 million a year, that's a much bigger chunk of the salary cap that's going to say a Kyler Murray in this right. particular case. But again, there's so much debate, especially with Kyler Murray, because I think it's obvious that the Cardinals, Bill Bidwell did not really want to do this. It seems like he must have been told, hey, what are our alternatives? And Ernie and I were talking off the air. And I think this is what's the fascinating part. What are you trying to accomplish as an owner? Because at the end of the day, the owners make the decision. The owner has to cut the check to pay the people. He's the one that's out $160 million today as soon as Kyler Murray signed because that's guaranteed up front. So at the end of the day, the owner has to decide what is important to him. Some owners are all about winning. The New England Patriots, right. you know, uh, the Kraft family, they're all about winning. And how are we going to set this up to win? Your Steelers. It's always been about winning family and, and building something. Not all owners are like that. This is a business and some of them want to turn a profit. So in this particular case, I think from, from one perspective, the thought is before Kyler Murray got to the Cardinals, they were three and 13. They were, they were completely unwatchable right. to some. Last year, they were 11 and six. They made the playoffs, mm-hmm. although they, they stunk it up. They've started strong the last two years and faded down the stretch but they're relevant. They're on TV. So from one side, it's you got to pay Kyler because he makes us watchable. He makes us relevant. He gets us on Thursday night football, Sunday night football, Monday night football. We're relevant. We're not going to win a Super Bowl because I don't think they will. If he's going to take up that much of their salary, I think when it comes to when the contract kicks in, the surrounding cast is not going to be good enough for them to win. Um, But if we're relevant, we're on TV, we're profitable. And does that take precedence? Do we, are we okay being good for an extended period of time? Or is it more important for us to not sign a Kyler Murray, trade him maybe, start again, regress a little, but try to win a championship, which we all know now kind of requires you to have a quarterback on their rookie deal. Right. Or, or a team friendly. So from that perspective, Ernie, if you are the owner, what would your goal be? Is it profit before anything else or is it winning championships? Well, it, it all, I really don't know exactly how the semantics work in regards to, you know, those, uh, the revenue sharing as far as 
you know, NFL merchandises are concerned, are concerned. I, I, I know I remember an article maybe two or three years ago, uh, from Jerry Jones of the Dallas Cowboys. He had a big stink in regards to, uh, you know, the ownership meetings and, and as far as revenue sharing in regards to, you know, the jersey sales. He said that the Dallas Cowboys were, were like number, number one by far as far as jersey sales and, why am I splitting it evenly up against the, you know, the other 32 teams? Now, I think when it comes down to stadium revenue, it has to be different because your Rams have the most beautiful stadium out there, you know, it, uh, and it, it, it's incredible. And all stadiums are like that. I mean, Dallas, of course, has that. The Steelers don't have, even though that, that you know, Heinz Field, although they're switching it later on this year as a decent stadium. Uh, I believe the revenue sharing is a little bit different. So from a profitability standpoint, I don't think being three and 13 versus 11, I mean, yeah, three and 14 in a 17 game season versus 11 and, you know, six really makes a difference in regards to revenue, revenue, revenue. So I, I think I would agree with that in the NFL because I think their revenue sharing and their demand on the salary caps is designed to make everyone have a chance. And I think that works. But I think what it does do is changes the value of the team. Yeah. I mean, like, like, let's take the right. NBA. Let's take LeBron James. Right. When he was without, not in Cleveland, they were worth practically nothing. He comes back and they're worth half a billion dollars more instantly yeah. once he signed. So I think there's value there. So I think being on TV often, you know, selling out stuff, being in the playoffs increases the value of the team. True. But that's only worth it if you're trying to leverage it into more assets right. or you're going to sell it. Um, so, I mean, that's a tough question. And I'm not sure all owners think alike. Most of these, or if not all of them, are billionaires. So they already have their money. Right. So you would think they're in the game to win. I mean, that's their ego. They want to win championships. But sometimes I, I shake my head. Like this Kyler Murray situation, you had two more years on this contract. You could have franchised him for two years. You didn't have to give him this contract for four more years. And now you've essentially paralyzed your team for seven years because you have this two plus five more tied to Kyler Murray. As a Rams fan that we did this with Jared Goff, I can tell you that wasn't the smart thing for the Rams to do. Mm -hmm. We're digging our way out of that. But somehow, some way, we have an extremely smart front office that knows how to manipulate the cap that allowed us to win a Super Bowl last year paying for Matt Stafford and Jared Goff. And he was on another team. So that's happening a lot more often now when you pay these guys early. I don't think there's any comparison between Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes at this part in their life and Kyler Murray. Yet Kyler Murray got more than Josh Allen, which right. just to me is just, for lack of a better word, it's asinine to me coming from my CPA perspective. Yeah. But that's what it is right now. I mean, and as, as a Rams fan, hopefully this paralyzes the Cardinals for the next seven years and now we only <laughs> got to worry about the 49ers. But it, it, it does come to say, I mean, if, if you're going to pay somebody that much, you're, you obviously are going to be sacrificing in other positions. Now, the NFL, more than baseball, more than basketball, obviously, you have more contributors. You have 12 men aside, excluding special teams. If you include special teams, potentially, you know, you're talking about another 11 on top of there. So, I mean, tying it up into one player and a player who's who is actually small for his position, uh, 
in a sport that 300 pound men throw themselves willingly in the air to collide against you, that's risky business in my opinion. I, I completely agree. And, and we, we've been alluded to this just a while ago. To win a Super Bowl, you have to have a team-friendly contract like Stafford last year, mm-hmm. like Tom Brady all the time, or you have to have a quarterback on their rookie deal like Flacco, like Mahomes, right. like Wentz, and, and you know when they won. But yet people are not learning. People are still paying these quarterbacks 40, 50, 60, eventually million dollars a year. Uh, and it hasn't been proven to work yet. Look at Aaron Rodgers. Four MVPs. He insists on being the highest paid player. Green Bay's one and out in the playoffs. Yeah. It's again, what are you trying to accomplish? As an owner, I would want to win a Super Bowl. Uh, as a player, I'd want to make as much money as I can, probably. Um, no, nah, that's not true. I, I honestly, as a player, I would take 40 million instead of 46 million if that meant I would have six million more for a running back, a receiver, or my offensive line. But that's not how these guys think. They all are max, and that includes my ramps. Right. I mean, once we won, Aaron Donald wanted a new contract. Yep. He still had time in his contract. Stafford got another contract. A cup got another contract. Now he took less than he could get. Um, but it's all a matter of, what do you want? And success breeds greed yeah. to, to some extent. It, it, so it, it does. And, and again, it goes back to the violent uh, nature of the sport. I mean, the next play could be your last play. I can, I can see from the athletes, the players side, why they want that money. I mean, it's a sport where unlike basketball, you know, you don't, you don't get the Deshaun Watson type of contract where, you know, your, your full contract is guaranteed. You know, a lot of these get, even though Conor Murray got 230, uh, you know, a good less than one third of that contract is, is guaranteed. So I, I can see from the players. I, I really don't blame them. I think it comes down to these owners and it's going to come up in ownership meetings where they're going to have to come to some type of a, agreement in regards to, okay, what is the max that we're going to be playing these, paying these players? You know, as far as, uh, cause the NBA, the NBA has it. You know, you can, there's max contracts and there's super max contracts depending on if you stay with the team. I think the NFL is, is gonna end up somewhere along those lines because it's getting a little bit ridiculous. And I, I, I really, I really don't know. I, 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 you, you have these star quarterbacks, like you said, they get to the playoffs. They're, they're relevant, but they don't win the big one, you know, other than Tom Brady. Yep. You know, so. Yeah, I mean, so gang, there again, there's really no easy answer. The reason why I wanted to spend so much time on this today is because it's thought-provoking. And we'd love to know what your thoughts are on this. I mean, if you're if you're Bill Bidwell, do you pay Kyler Murray right now with two years left on his contract with his um, track record um, or, or not? You know, so. I don't. Sports Rivals Pod on IG and Facebook. Sports Rivals Podcast on IG and Facebook. Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter. Let us know what you think. So let's transition from the NFL business to the NBA. So I think that the big news this week first was James Harden did agree to his right. two-year $68.6 million contract. So that's the prudent fin- financial side. I think he got what he probably deserved. He got a, he gave up $48 million 
um, that was guaranteed if he opted in. And then he, what he basically did was he got a one year extension for 20 million. So Philadelphia is paying him $68 million over the next two years. So they save 14 million this year. So they're able to go get PJ Tucker and they're not locked or tied to him past one more year. Right. I thought that was prudent. Your thoughts on the Harden I, I, I think signing? It, I, I, think it, I think it was smart. And I think Harden really played a big part in regards to P.J. Tucker going to Philadelphia. They were teammates uh, in their Rockets days, you know, so they had, they, you know, they, they have that connection over there. And I think it's, it's, it's two sides, you know, coming together as one mind. I think they, you know, both sides would have to, any good contract that works best for a team and a player both sides are going to hurt. If the team feels that they were able to get a good deal, the player gets hurt. If the player gets the better part of the deal, then the team is hurt. I think in this case on Philadelphia sides, it came out perfect where both teams hurt just enough, but it came out best for both the team and the player. I agree. I think Philadelphia comes out in a very good situation here. And it looks like James Harden got the message. Unless I was looking at a Photoshop picture, Ernie, I saw a picture of him yesterday and he looks as thin as I've seen him in a long time. So he must have gotten the message. He must be taking his fitness seriously. Um, unless again, that was a Photoshop picture. <laughs> he looked pretty good in that picture yesterday. So for his sake and for honestly, for the sake of the NBA, they're better off when superstars are playing well. And if he still has a year left in him, I think that's great for the basketball. May not be great for your Celtics. And gang, I've been waiting for this recording for the last two to three days, ever since word leaked out that the Celtics had risen to the top of the KD chase. Now, some of that has uh, lost a little bit of luster. So again, the business of sports, let's talk just about the trade. It came out that the Celtics offered the Nets, Jalen Brown, right. Derek White, and a, a, draft a, and a draft pick. Right. And the Nets... Fired back with Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Derek White, multiple draft picks, and multiple draft picks. Yeah. But we're right now we're at we're at a stalemate. So first of all, Ernie, do you even entertain this type of a deal? If you're a Celtic, like you are, I, I, I'm a Celtic, and I'm telling you right, right now, right off the bat. I, Jalen Brown is my favorite player on the Boston Celtics, so I do not do this in any shape. Form or fashion other than the straight up one for one trade. Uh, that's not going to happen. I mean, that's not realistic. Uh, I don't think that it, I don't, I, I don't think that it, this is going to happen. I think this is something that all teams did in order to test the water. I think Brad Stevens as a GM had to do his due diligence as do other teams out there trying to seek out, okay, what's the asking price in regards to, uh, acquiring one Kevin Durant and Kevin Durant be, being, you know, really a generational player. I mean, uh, arguably the top, top two or three player in the NBA, you know, depending on, uh, what side you fall in regards to, uh, scoring versus defense, but definitely a, a marquee player. J he's going to be 34 though. Jalen Brown is 25. Jalen Brown's contract from a financial standpoint is not even half of Katie's contract. That's why they have to have these things matched. If they did the first deal where the Celtics offered Jalen Brown, Derek White, and a draft pick, they would fall 
uh, I believe, $10 million short. Ten, that $10 million short really cost the Celtics another $37.5 million in luxury tax. So they had, that's why they were asking for additional players. So if they included actually market smart on top of that deal, they would actually save money on that deal. But I believe the Celtics are in for the win. Uh, I'm all in for chemistry. Katie had his chance with Golden State. Didn't happen. He had his first year, obviously with the Nets, he was injured. Second year, didn't happen. Shit happened. Third, this last year, Kyrie did his thing. It didn't happen. What leads us to believe that at age 34, that bringing in Kevin Durant will make a team that was basically two games away from winning the NBA championship better. And I, and I think this is the fascinating part. And I knew that Ernie and I would be on different sides of the spectrum in regards to this. Now, I certainly wouldn't entertain the deal of Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Derek White, another player, multiple draft picks. I, I wouldn't give all of that for Kevin Durant. Um, but I would do a Jalen Brown, a Marcus Smart, and the draft picks, uh, or draft pick, maybe a pick swap to get Kevin Durant. Now, is there risk involved? Of course. You know, with Jalen Brown, you're talking about nine years younger. So you're talking about being good for the foreseeable future when you have Jalen Brown. And it, it goes back to the mindset of what do you want to accomplish? To me, bringing in Kevin Durant right now gives makes the Boston Celtics the NBA favorites. Now, could Kevin Durant get hurt? He could, but you've traded for Malcolm Brogdon now. So you have Brogdon. You could go at Brogdon, Tatum, uh, Durant, Horford, and Williams, or you could start somebody smaller instead of Horford and bring them off the bench. That is a dominant lineup. Now, could it be beat? Of course it could be beat. But with Kevin Durant, is he going to live out the four years remaining and almost $200 million on his contract? He could, but my guess would be four years down the line, he's not going to be the same player. So you have a two-year window. If you're the Celtics, do you go all in? And that's the, that's, that's the decision you have to make. Ernie would rather be good uh, and, and they almost won the title this year with this group. He would rather go for that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, if I'm a Celtic fan, we've won one title in 35 years, I make the deal. And I could pay the price for it. Um, but then again, I'm an LA fan, right? That's all we do. We go for the gusto <laughs> and then we, we hemorrhage after that. So, but that's what's fascinating. I mean, it's two different perspectives. Um, but man, Kevin Durant and Tatum together. But there is injury risk there. Rodden has injury risk. Durant has injury risk. Williams has injury risk. Yeah. So there is injury risk there. But if they go into the playoffs healthy, wow. Yeah. If they go into playoffs healthy, that it's 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 great. I mean, but when we talk about the original big three, Paul Pierce, uh, Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, that team should have won three straight. What happened? Kevin Garnett gets injured. And then on, on the year that your Lakers uh, beat them in game seven, Garnett is, is, is playing at 70% and Perkins gets hurt and we lose to the Lakers in, in game seven on top of that. So 
that should have been three titles in the last 12 years or 13 years, but injuries happen. And I'm talking about those were player that those were multiple players, not one, multiple players. And that was a three-year span. But so, I so, think that's exactly this situation here. They went all in. They got they got uh, Garnett. They got Ray Allen. They went all in. And they could have won three. They won one. That's kind of exactly what this situation is like. If they bring in Durant, they could go on a two- to three-year run. But there's injury risk. So there, there's some risk involved there. Yeah. And that's kind of where, where you want to go. Um to me, I am, I, I'm looking at this as, okay, we were two games away from winning the, winning the champion. Actually, in my opinion, I look at it this, at this way. I'm looking at it. We were eight minutes away. Not we, but the Celtics were eight minutes away in game four because that was the last eight minutes where they were at playing at home and gave away the lead and, and where they should have been up three one to, against the, the, the Warriors, Warriors yeah. and that would have been a totally different scenario just from the mindset of things. That would change the whole the whole mindset of the thing. If that so and we added Brogdon and we added uh, Gallinari. Yeah, Gallinari. And now we wanna test the waters even more. Vegas already puts the Celtics at least as co-favorites to win the championship. I, I, I don't, I, I would, I wouldn't do it. I knew you wouldn't do it. <laughs> I knew you wouldn't do it. But it's fascinating. I mean, it really is fascinating. Just the fact that they're entertaining it. Cause if it doesn't happen, now they have Jalen Brown obviously yeah, a little bit frustrated yeah, and frustrated. hurt by this. Yeah. And they're going to have to smooth that over. And it just leads me to believe because Jalen Brown to me is a all star caliber player. Are the Celtics signaling that they think that he has reached his cap? Like he's not improving anymore? Um, he's still young. I got to think he can still get better. And he has dog mentality defensively too. So very, very interesting situation. It may be all moot. But when it came out this week, it was like, yes, this it, is something for us to talk about. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, it was a slow week. So actually the national media really picked it up. Uh, I mean, I mean it, it, it's been crazy. I think if they did this really just from a Celtic standpoint, if they were going to do this, they were going to do this before the, the, the Celtics had a $17 million trade uh, exemption. Yeah. Uh, TPE trade. Yeah. Trade player exemption. And if they were to do that, they would have done it prior to that expiring on July the 17th. That way they could pick up. You know, more players, right. you know, to fill in the holes after giving away four. Plus. I think, I think Brad Stevens smells blood. I think he's like, hey, his, what they're asking for a month ago is not what seems to be out there yeah. now. Let me try and lowball yeah. them and see where we're at. Yeah. And then it blew up publicly. Yeah. And that's where that, that's, that's, go that's why. And I think it's Sean Marks. I think really Sean Marks is playing a game actually with the other, uh, franchises involved. The New Orleans Pelicans, yeah, yeah, just to increase the asking price because you you gotta say the Celtics have they could put together the best package that not many other teams could rival. I mean, really, they can't uh, and still be good and and, and, and still be, be good. good, yeah, and still and and still be good. So you know, it, it's out there. I mean, so from the next standpoint, from Sean Mark's business standpoint, I mean, it was a good move, but now you got a disgruntled. 
Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown. Yeah, now I'm going to have to extend him for four years at 196 weight. Again, gang, just fascinating talk. And we're going to transition. So if you guys remember last week, Ernie and I went through our favorite teams, the Steelers and Rams, our top 10 Rams and Steelers of all time. This week, we're going to go through our basketball. I'm going to do Lakers. He's going to do, go Celtics. I'll go first this week because last, last week he went first. I'm going to run through my top 10 Lakers pretty quickly. Um, at number 10, and I struggled with this because he hasn't been there long. I have LeBron James at number 10. Wow. And the reason for that is, you know, since he's been there, they did win a championship. He was the finals MVP. He was first team all NBA and he made the all star. Um, he's an all star all four years he was there. And when I compare that to some of the other Lakers, those accolades kind of played out a little bit. At number nine, I have Paul Gasol. He was a two-time champ with the Lakers. He was Kobe's right-hand man after Shaq left. He he was a three-time All-Star with the Lakers. Um, a very important player, a definite Hall of Famer, but he played with the Lakers for seven years, averaging 19 points and around 12 rebounds during that time. At eight, I have Will Chamberlain. Now, Will Chamberlain is the, on the top 10 of many lists, but his best days were before he became a Laker. But with the Lakers, he did have one finals MVP, one regular MVP award. He made the all-star team five times and was a two-time all-defensive player and did win a championship. So Will Chamberlain there at number eight. Seven is James Worthy, a three-time champ, one finals MVP, seven-time all-star. Ernie appreciates him from his days with Michael Jordan yep. and the North Carolina Tar Heels. At number six, Elgin Baylor. 10-time first-team All-NBA, 11-time All-Star. I have him at six. Never won a championship. Jerry West is five. One finals MVP, which he won in a losing cause. The Celtics actually won the title, and he was the finals MVP. 10-time first-team All-NBA, 14-time All-Star, four-time first-team All-Defense, and the logo. Jerry West at number five. Shaq comes in at number four. Three finals MVPs, one regular MVP, six time first team all NBA player as a Laker. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is number three. He won three MVPs as a Laker, one finals MVP, six time first team all NBA, 14 all-star games as a Laker. The top two Lakers of all time. And depending on who to talk to, this may be re uh, reversed, but I can't ever go against my magic. So number two, Kobe Bryant. Five-time champion, one MVP, two-time finals MVP, 11-time first-team All-NBA, nine-time first-team All-Defense. Kobe Bryant played his entire career 20 years with the Lakers. So no one played that long with, with, uh, with the Lakers as Kobe did. But Magic still has to be number one. He and Larry Bird changed the NBA for the better. Five NBA championships, three-time MVP, three-time finals MVP, nine-time first-team All-NBA. Of course, his career was shortened by his AIDS di uh, diagnosis, so he only played uh, 11. In his 12th year, that's when the AIDS diagnosis came out and he was forced to retire. Um, Magic is my number one. Wow. Can you go? Can you run your list down real quickly? Sure. LeBron ten, Paul Gasol nine, Wilta Stilt at eight, James Worthy seven, Elgin Baylor six, Jerry West five, Shaq four, Kareem three, Kobe two, and Magic one. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's that's hard to disagree with. 
That's hard to disagree with. I mean, the only one was LeBron. I mean, has he been there long enough? And when I try to compare him to people like a Norm Nixon or a Gail Goodrich or a Byron Scott, oh, yeah. or you know, oh, yeah. they're just really yeah. a Jamal Wilkes. There just really wasn't enough to bump down what it is going to go down as one of the top two or three players of all time, all right, yeah. especially since he won a title. Had he not won a title, he probably wouldn't be here, but he did, and he squeezes in at number 10. Yeah, you know, when you put in those other names uh, as far as comparison, then, yeah, it's, it's you, you got to put him in. I mean, he even though AD hit that last shot, I mean, it's LeBron's team, so. Okay, let me start with mine. My, mine uh, mine is, is is difficult because... I uh, have these guys. I I had no chance to even watch. <laughs> even though Monty teases me on my age, you know these guys. A lot of these guys were uh, uh, before my time. But I'm just gonna have to go based upon you know uh, hearsay, lore. You know, you know, just uh, being a a student of you know Celtics history. So I'll go. I'll start out with somebody who I do know. I mean, this was the early parts of actually my getting interested in. In, in basketball, uh, I'm going to start off with the chief, you know, Robert Parrish. Robert Parrish was, you know, the center back in those days. He wasn't the greatest center, but he was always Mr. Consistent, you know, and uh, wasn't the best in offense, wasn't the best in defense, but he hung around there being number one, number two, on any, and, and on any given night, he could play with the best of them. Yeah. I put Robert Parrish there at number 10. An unblockable shot because he shot it from oh, such yeah. a high, oh, it, uh, yeah, high Exactly, exactly. He had the chief at number 10. At number 10. Number 9, I'm going to go with the most, to me, one of the most unsung guys. I really don't know this because this guy was a lot bef- uh, bef- before me. Jojo White, the guard. Uh, for some reason, this guy, if you look at his stats... The guy, the ball was always in his hand at the last minute when you needed a score. He was known for that. He was, uh, you know, MVP for the team multiple times, even though he wasn't, uh, what do you call that? Uh, finals MVP. Uh, but he was always the one that the Celtics went to when they needed the basket. And you can't, you know, bypass all the the accolades as far as championships are concerned with him. So I got Jojo White listed at number nine. Well, our, our listeners would probably know Jojo Siwa more than they know Jojo White. But <laughs> let's go to number eight. What do you got at eight? Number eight, I have the tweener. Uh, the, this is between their, I believe, between their first nine championships Merging into the bird area. I have Dave Cowens over there. Really a, a multi-purpose type of player. Uh, didn't win as many championships as he did win championships, but didn't win as many as, uh, you know, those legends out there. But he was the focal point going into that, bridging that gap between the Bill Russell days and the Larry Bird days. Mm-hmm. Uh, at number seven, I have, uh, I have Sam Jones. Sam Jones was more like your, your Jojo White. He was, uh, a really quick guard, really all around defensive player, really facilitated the ball. I think he made the players around him better. He sacrificed, uh, his own, uh, to make the other players better. 
lo and behold, he was part of most of those championships. So I have him as my number seven. My number six guy is the man of a thousand moves, the man from Minnesota who went, who I, when I first saw this guy come into, uh, uh, you know, a Celtics uniform, I thought it was a mistake. I said, why did you waste your, uh, I think it was, it was, he was the third. Yeah. I know he was, he, he was, he was top. He was uh, around there in the top two or three. Why did you waste it on this guy? And this guy turned out to be an incredible player. Uh, I haven't seen a guy like this since mm-hmm. as far as his footwork for, for being a, a tall guy. I mean, uh, I'm glad really that they didn't count the three second rule as fast as they do in some days because who knows what, what would happen to them. But I have Kevin McHale as my number six player of all time. This is somebody, this is the most, uh, my number five player is one of the more recent players. Uh, uh, as far as Celtics are concerned on, on this list, I have Paul Pierce. Now, Paul Pierce really didn't come into, I guess, uh, the household name until Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen were actually there. And I really had a hard time putting Kevin Garnett out there. He did, he was a member of the Celtics for five years, you know, uh, won one championship, played in two, uh, just didn't have the, long enough resume to really compete with the other players out there. I mean, when you play for the Celtics, you're talking about championship after championship after championship. I'm not like, I'm not like the Lakers. I mean, they're, they're tied in championships. In fact, the Lakers have gone to more finals than the Celtics. And I believe more than the Celtics, the Celtics just have been more efficient at it. <laughs> yeah. You beat us 10 in a row. That's what it is right there. <laughs> but Paul Pierce was the man, uh, again, very underrated. Until he teamed up with the big three, and we saw. But statistically, what, isn't he like? Doesn't he have most of the Celtic records? He has a lot. He has a lot. Of very much close to rivaling uh, Larry Bird, especially on the three-point shot. The three-point shot when Larry Bird was was over there wasn't really played. But well, we'll get to him. He's higher on my list. But right now, I have Paul Pierce as num- as my number five. My number four is probably the. Probably the best known, uh, guard in Celtics history is one Bob Cousy, the magic man. I mean, they used to call this guy, used, this guy, uh, this guy was Allen Iverson before Allen Iverson. Uh, you know, before, I mean, this guy was a, a man with the ball. I, uh, I mean, he did things, uh, way beyond his years. He was very, um, uh, I don't know. He was. He's like a Chris Paul. Yeah. Chris Paul. Yeah. He, he, he just, he facilitated. He drew players. I mean, he just did everything. Uh, he was, he was just the guy out there, Bob Cousy. Uh, the next guy was actually Mr. Basketball. That was his nickname. Uh, I'm talking about John Havlicek. Uh, played 16 years with the Celtics, won eight championships. Again, he got the later part of that big championship yeah. run again. So it was Havlicek and Cowens for me as a kid as right. they transitioned. Right. You know, that, that, that middle year against the Phoenix Suns in the, in the seventies. Yeah. And then they transitioned. And then they transitioned yeah. into the Larry Bird in the early eighties. Mondo Havlicek. Yeah. Well, he was, he was just, he was just everything. He was the Larry Bird before Larry Bird. You know, a big guy, he did basically everything, good efficiency, you know, and again, he won, he won a couple of championships 
without Bill Russell and the, and those other guys. So he comes as my number three. My number two, and I had to think hard about this because, again, I did not watch my number one. But my number two, when I saw him come into the league with your friend, well, your number one guy, mm-hmm. Magic Johnson, boy, did basket. They, they changed the game. Yeah, Larry, the game. Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, yeah, saved NBA basketball. That East versus West rivalry uh, that they put on uh, stemming back from the NCAA days when Michigan played uh, Indiana State. Uh, and I believe that was one of the most, the most watched, watched college, college basketball yeah, in, in college in, games. In, yeah. And it, it, it was weird because actually the Boston Celtics picked Larry Bird the year before. Mm-hmm. Larry Bird Declined to go into the draft, played one more year for Iowa State, and that's how they were able to, to get him. But Larry Bird, if you, if, if you're not old enough to, to, to have watched Larry Bird, even in his YouTube videos, the man was amazing. The man was amazing because this guy was, wasn't fast. Uh, he had a 10 inch vertical. <laughs> I mean, I swear I saw this. In his entire life, I think I've seen him dunk once. I mean, but he was his passing skills, his rebounding skills. He just knew where the ball was coming off on a rebound. Uh, his three point, this guy was Steph Curry before Steph Curry. I mean, if, if I, I mean, there, there were commercials where Larry Bird would be on a McDonald's commercial with Michael Jordan and, uh, it, it, it was hyped up, but, in real life, Michael Jordan would not beat Larry Bird in a game of horse. Uh, I can almost guarantee you that. As long as they didn't dunk. <laughs> as long as they didn't dunk. But Larry Bird was amazing. I mean, he he really bought, brought Boston back to because it fell on hard times, you know, uh, in seasons prior to him arriving. And it really brought them to the forefront. Unfortunately, he is... He had back problems. His career kind of fell short. He didn't play uh, as long. I'm, I'm pretty sure if if he played a little bit longer, he didn't have those back ailments. Uh, who knows? Maybe they could have won more titles out there. But he lands at my number two, even though he is my most favorite Celtic of all time. I can't dispute this man who's number one. Uh, the titles alone, uh, he even coached a team into he was a player coach uh just his impact in that era uh era was uh undeniable to be con- not considered uh the number one i'm talking about bill russell uh you know mr san francisco out of there i mean uh 11 championships countless mvps uh wilt had all the stats he had all the championships, uh, big defensive presence. So he was out there as far as offense and defense. Uh, undeniably one, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Uh, I'll just have to, uh, you know, believe in the videotapes or the YouTube videos that are, are that are still out there, there on this man. But 
I can't deny it. Bill Russell, my number one Celtic. I don't have any problem with that. I, I think Bill Russell would have to be the number one considering all his accolades, although Larry Bird is just a phenomenal player. You know, for, for those of you that are a little bit younger, when we're talking about when Magic and Bird came into play, the NBA Finals were shown on tape delay after the 10 o'clock news. It wasn't... Like, you, you think, Just think about that. The way sports is shown now, no matter when it is, it was recorded and shown at 10.30 at night uh, after the 10 o'clock news. That's where the NBA was when Magic and Bird came into the league. I really believe the two of them saved the league and then Michael Jordan took it to the next level. Yeah. Between the three of them, they created an environment where people were barely making money to now they're making $50 million a year. Right. Um, and it all stemmed from what these three guys did when they first came in. No Danny Ainge. I mean, no Danny Ainge on your top 10. <laughs> Sorry. I couldn't, I couldn't include his uh, GM capabilities in there, but... Yeah. Well, for your Laker and Celtic fans, do you agree? Again, Sports Rivals Podcast on IG and Facebook, Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter. Tell us what you think. Or if you have another favorite team, we'd love to know who your top 10 are for that. So let's transition to Ernie's closing thought. Before we do, last week was the Major League Baseball All-Star Game. Mm -hmm. I mean, baseball does the All-Star Game the best. I mean, they, they truly do. They have one player from every team. Their home run contest has gotten more exciting with time limits, etc. But I think last week, the most exciting was fans of Bad Bunny, who was all over the Major League All-Star game. Bad Bunny was everywhere in regards to that. But Ernie, do you remember who won the game? I didn't even watch the game. <laughs> See, I remember who won the game because the National League lost again for the 25th time in like the last 28 years. <laughs> and that means when my Dodgers get to the World Series, they got to play on the road because that's what happens that's when right. you lose yeah, in the Major exactly. League Baseball All-Star game. You got to go on the road. So just assuming that the Dodgers are going to be there. But Ernie, your closing thought talks about All-Star games? The My closing thought talks about the actual need for all-star games i mean uh i i haven't watched the major league all-star game i i say in the last three or four years i haven't watched a pro bowl since left since, uh, since, <laughs> since i can't even remember when i i still watch the nba all-star game i think when the elam rule came back uh i think that made it a little bit more exciting but really my, my thought is do we really need all-star games. I mean, uh, especially for uh, if it's going to be played in a manner where, you know, you're not getting at least 80% effort out of everybody. I really think that it's something that we can do without. I mean, if you watch the Pro Bowl and you have linemen actually getting up from their three-point stance and I swear they're only putting like they're tapping the the defensive lineman's shoulders. I mean, that's really that's that's an insult to the game, and that's why I haven't watched the Pro Bowl in countless years. Uh, I I don't watch the the baseball for for uh, many reasons other than the fact that there are too many pitchers on top of there, and I don't think it's really played in a way that if you had your lineup and this was a game that you were going to win that really all those players were gonna are actually gonna play. 
So why play it, in my opinion? Just put it out there. I, and as far as basketball is concerned, the same thing. You, uh, if, if you're going to play these games, in, in my opinion, uh, it's got to come from the player standpoint where they got to show effort. They got to show respect to the game. Cause I'm, I'm going to, I'm not for basketball. I'm, I'm okay watching the highlight dunks. For baseball, I'm okay with the home run derby. For football, I'm okay for the, you know, the Hail Mary passes every three plays, you know, but when it comes down to the actual game itself, uh, it's not really the game. It's not the game that I'm there to watch on a normal basis. I believe that you, you honor these men, uh, by putting them on all pros. Okay. But, you know, as far as all stars or, or whatnot or pro bowls, because an all pro in football, it's not the same as an all a pro bowler in football because a pro bowler can opt out or if they're in the Super Bowl, they're not playing the pro bowl. Alternates come in. So they're on that team. The same thing for, uh, for basketball and baseball. Mm-hmm. Alternates can come in, but from, on the record standpoint, they made the all-star team. They made the NBA all-star team. They made the major league baseball all-star team, but that's counted on their record when they're really, they don't designate them as alternate or not because it really doesn't make much of a difference. Mm-hmm. So again, from the entertainment standpoint, if you're, if you're a casual fan and you can really say that you enjoy these things, then, you know, I guess I'm on the, I'm on the minority on top of that. I don't think I am. I, I, I think these games, uh, have lost a lot of their luster. They're trying to make it, make it fun and enjoyable. Uh, but in my opinion, you know, just give them the, the awards. You know, just give them the awards as far as all pros, all stars. You can do away with that, you know, but I know it's a money revenueing sport, but that's just my thought of the day. Well, I think for definitely from the Pro Bowl perspective, that should be eliminated. But I, you know what it is, Ernie? I think I think it's evolved in a way. These all-star games are designed for fans. The ability to see all of their stars in one place playing, playing hard. But I think what has happened, and again, it's generational. And maybe, maybe I'm speaking from the fact that, you know, I'm in my early fifties and I come from a different type of generation, but I grew up in a baseball all-star game and Pete Rose ran the catcher over trying to win the game. And we grew up in a Pro Bowl where they're competing. They're playing hard. They're doing everything that they can to try to win the game, especially in the fourth quarter when at the, the prize money was like ten, fifteen thousand dollars. Now these players make tens of millions of dollars that their only concern is, I don't want to get hurt. Right. So they're not trying, they're not putting out the effort for the fans because they are worried about their self-serving interest. Right or wrong, that's the truth. That's been the deterioration of the game. Like the baseball seem to do it best because they try to put things in place to make it make them want to try. But this All-Star game, and I watched most of it just because it was the first All-Star game in Los Angeles since 1980. So I had more curiosity to watch this game. But all the starters only got like one at bat. You know, so before you'd have Dave Parker playing three, the whole game. Mike Trout would play the whole game because they're trying to win. And some guys aren't going to play. When you have 35 guys, it's hard to get everybody in the game. But now they're so focused on getting everyone in that even if the game is supposed to be important, 
it's not played that way. Right. And that makes it a little bit less appealing. So I would agree with you on that. Um, the NFL should get rid of the Pro Bowl. It's a joke. It's really embarrassing. Mm-hmm. At this point, it's become embarrassing for them. But believe it or not, as embarrassing as the Pro Bowl is, it still all draws the NBA All-Star Game, the Major League All-Star Game, the NBA <laughs> Finals. The Pro Bowl all drew the NBA Finals. Oh That's goodness. how powerful the NFL is. So it makes it hard for them to give it away. But to me, the money that they make from the Pro Bowl is not worth the embarrassment of what the Pro Bowl has become. So I agree with you there. 100%. Yeah. From a pure standpoint, I just want, if the game, if you're going to play a game, play it the way it was meant to be played. I mean, you got the played at the end instead of mid-season break. I mean, I know that the NBA has a mid-season break. Uh, Major League Baseball has a mid-season break. Uh, you can't get hurt. Make it at the end of the season, you know. Follow it. Uh, do it as a prelude to, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the championship game or something like that. That way, if there's, there's a minor injury or something like that, it doesn't screw up their, you know, their regular season. They, they have a chance, but. Uh, the way it stands right now, you don't have, you're not going to get any all-star reporting from me <laughs> in the near future. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? That was a pretty toned down version of Ernie's closing <laughs> thought there. So again, we talked a lot about the business of sports today, whether it be the Kyler Murray contract and why would you do it or why wouldn't you not? Or if you're a Celtic fan, the business of do you go all in to try to win within the next one to two years or do you build for the next 10 years? Ernie and I differed on that particular case, although we have similar philosophies in terms of, of doing that. We covered our top 10 list, Ernie's mm-hmm. top 10 Celtic headlined by Bill Russell, my top 10 Laker list headlined by Magic Johnson. And then again, Ernie's closing thought, why play these all-star games if no one really cares about it? Find another way to honor the players and to showcase the players for the fans. So anything else that we missed that you want to cover, Ernie? I'm good. All right, gang. So again, Sports Rivals Podcast on IG and Facebook, Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter. Please check us out online. Let us know what your thoughts are. Again, how do you rank Ernie's top 10, my top 10? What are your thoughts on all-star games or anything else that you want to discuss? We look forward to dialoguing with you online. But until next week, the Sports Rivals are out. Thank you for joining us on the Sports Rivals Podcast. Check us out on social media at Sports Rivals Podcasts on Instagram and at Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter, where you can share topics you'd like to hear. Mm-hmm.